archetypes and symbols. The Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung was interested in a way symbols and common myths permeate our thinking at both conscious and unconscious levels. Jung initially collaborated with fellow psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud, who in his 1899 work The Interpretation of Dreams placed importance on recurring themes and motives in human dreams and so to understand their significance to the psyche of subjects and their mental well-being. Jung and Freud, however, later took different paths, with the former disagreeing with Freud's emphasis on the influence of biological factors such as libido on behavior and personality. Instead, Jung was concerned with the areas of the mind that make up the psyche and the way in which they interact. He distinguished the persona or the image of ourselves that we present to the world from our shadow which can be made up of hidden anxieties and repressed thoughts. Jung also noted the relationship between our personal unconscious which contains an individual personal memories and thoughts, and the collective unconscious, the set of memories and thoughts that are shared by all humanity. Common concepts, which Jung described as archetypes, permeate the collective unconscious and appear as themes and characters in our dreams and surface in our culture, for instance in myths, books, movies and paintings. Jung believed that the inconsistency of ideals in the personal unconscious and consciousness can create internal conflicts that can lead to certain personality traits or anxieties. Such inner conflicts, according to Jung, can be resolved by bringing repressed thoughts into consciousness and adapting them and adapting to them rather than destroying them creating a state of inharmony through a process known as individuation. The personal unconscious The personal unconscious contains memories of which we are unaware and which we still have, often as a result of repression. Since we exist in a conscious state, we have no direct access to the personal unconscious, but it surfaces in our dreams or in a hypnotic state of regression. The collective unconscious The collective unconsciousness is the key to Jung's theories of mind because it contains archetypes. Jung assumed that we are not born as tabula rasa, a blank slate, and are not influenced only by our environment as the English philosopher John Locke believed, but that each of us is born with a collective unconscious. This contains a set of shared memories and ideas that we can all identify with, regardless of the culture we were born into or the times in which we live. We cannot communicate through the collective unconsciousness, but we do recognize some of the same ideas, including archetypes, innately. 
For example, many cultures have independently cultivated similar myths that contain similar characters and themes, such as the creation of the universe. Archetypes Jung observed that there are a number of archetypes in the collective unconscious that we can all recognize. An archetype is a model image of a person or a role and includes but is not limited to the mother figure, the father figure, the wise old man and the clown or joker. For instance, the mother figure has nurturing qualities, is dependable and compassionate. We all have similar ideas about the mother figure and perceive her across cultures and in our language, for example, the expression of mother nature. Persona Jung observed that each of us, unlike our inner self, has a persona, an identity that we want to represent to others. He deliberately used the Latin term, which can refer either to the persona of a person masked as an actor, because persona can be constructed from archetypes in the collective unconsciousness, or it can be influenced by ideas about social roles in society. For example, a father may adopt traits that he considers typical of a father such as seriousness or discipline, rather than those that reflect his actual personality. Further, Philip Zimbardo's study of social roles in prison in 1971 showed the influence our roles have on our personality. People who have been assigned a role, such as that of a prison guard, often behave as they would expect someone in their role to behave. Since the persona is not a true reflection of our consciousness, but rather an idealized image that people aspire to, over-identification with the persona can lead to internal conflict and suppression of one's individuality, which Jung argues can be resolved through individuation process. The Shadow Archetype In the deepest sense, the shadow is the invisible saurian tail that one is always dragging behind one. Carefully amputated, it becomes the healing serpent of the mysteries. Carl Jung in his book The Integration of Shadow The shadow archetype consists primarily of those elements of ourselves that we consider negative. We don't show this side of ourselves to the outside world because it can be a source of anxiety or shame. The shadow may contain repressed thoughts or ideas that we do not want to integrate into our outer personality, but these need to be resolved in order to achieve individuation. However, it may also contain positive traits such as perceived weaknesses, for instance empathy, that may not fit with the thoughtness that one wants to present as part of one's personality. In literature, the shadow is often presented as a malevolent character, for example, the snake in the Garden of Eden or the Jungle Book. Jung also noted that Hyde, for whom Dr. Jekyll transforms into, represents the shadow of a character in Robert Louis Stevenson's novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 
anima animus archetypes. The anima in men or animus in women represents the opposite sex of a person's self. When a person develops a gender identity, such as that of a man, he suppresses aspects of his personality that could be considered feminine, such as empathy in social situations. Although these traits are part of the true unified self, they are withheld from our person and are represented in the form of the feminine anima archetype for men or the masculine animus archetype for women. The anima and animus are idealized images of the male or female that emerge from the collective unconsciousness in dreams and shape our perceptions of the opposite sex. As we grow older, they bring us into contact with aspects of our personality repressed during the formation of our gender identity. For example, a man may allow his empathy to become more pronounced after developing his masculine personality. The wise old man archetype Because of his age and frailty, the wise old man represents the power of quiet contemplation in the absence of physical prowess. The wise old man anticipates the future through calm reflection and offers guidance in troubled times. The Great Mother The Great Mother archetype embodies the idealized qualities of the mother figure. She is caring, compassionate, dependable and loving, and like the old wise man can offer guidance when asked. Other Archetypes Many other archetypes can be recognized that have non-exclusive qualities and that may be represented to varying degrees by multiple archetypes. Examples of other archetypes include the magician, the child, the creator and the caregiver. There is no definitive list of archetypes. You can configure them from any number of abstract roles or categories. They just have to be consistent with their antitypes or archetypes if you prefer. And there are no good or bad archetypes. They just balance each other, challenge each other or encourage the other to change. The serpent in the Garden of Eden, the envious witch whose actions set in motion events that bring the prince into communion with the princess. Individuation Jung believed that by adopting the qualities of the archetype from the collective unconsciousness, we suppress those qualities of the true self that do not correspond to the archetype. He argued that in order to achieve individuation and realize the true self, we must integrate rather than suppress these qualities by allowing them to emerge from the shadow and coexist with the qualities of the ego or true self. Analytical psychologists can promote this integration or individuation through therapy involving free associations. Man and his symbols Carl Gustav Jung about symbols in his own words. What we call a symbol is a term, a name or even a picture that may be familiar in daily life, yet that possesses specific connotations in addition to its conventional and obvious meaning. It implies 
something vague, unknown or hidden from us. Thus a word or an image is symbolic when it implies something more than its obvious and immediate meaning. It has a wider, unconscious aspect that is never precisely defined or fully explained, nor can one hope to define or explain it. As the mind explores the symbol, it is led to ideas that lie beyond the grasp of reason. The wheel may lead our thoughts toward the concept of a divine son, but at this point reason must admit its incompetence. Man is unable to define a divine being. When, with all our intellectual limitations, we call something divine, we have merely given it a name which may be based on a creed but never on factual evidence. Because there are innumerable things beyond the range of human understanding, we constantly use symbolic terms to present concepts that we cannot define or fully comprehend. This is one reason why all religions employ symbolic language or images. But this conscious use of symbols is only one aspect of a psychological fact of great importance. Man also produces symbols unconsciously and spontaneously in form of dreams. It is not easy to grasp this point, but the point must be grasped if we are to know more about the ways in which the human mind works. Man, as we realize, if we reflect for a moment, never perceives anything fully or comprehends anything completely. He can see, hear, touch and taste, but how far he sees, how well he hears, what his touch tells him and what he tastes depend upon the number and quality of his senses. These limit his perception of the world around him. By using scientific instruments, he can partially compensate for the deficiencies of his senses. For example, he can extend the range of his vision by binoculars or of his hearing by electrical amplification. But the most elaborate apparatus cannot do more than bring distant or small objects within range of his eyes, or make faint sound more audible. No matter what instruments he uses, at some point he reaches the edge of certainty beyond which conscious knowledge cannot pass. As a general rule, the unconscious aspect of any event is revealed to us in dreams, where it appears not as a rational thought but as a symbolic image. As a matter of history, it was the study of dreams that first enabled psychologists to investigate the unconscious aspect of conscious psychic events. Man has developed consciousness slowly and laboriously in a process that took untold ages to reach the civilized state, which is arbitrarily dated from the invention of script in about 4000 BC. And this evolution is far for, from complete, for large areas of the human mind are still shrouded in darkness. What we call the psyche is by no means identical with our consciousness and its contents. There are historical reasons for this resistance to the idea of an unknown part of the human psyche. Consciousness is a very recent acquisition of nature and it is still in an experimental state. 
It is frail, menaced by specific dangers and easily injured. As anthropologists have noted, one of the most common mental derangements that occur among primitive people is what they call the loss of a soul, which means, as the name indicates, a noticeably disruption or, more technical, a dissociation of consciousness. Among such people whose consciousness is at a different level of development from ours, the soul or psyche is not felt to be a unit. Many primitives assume that a man has a bush soul as well as his own and that this bush soul is incarnate in a wild animal or tree with which the human individual has some kind of psychic identity. Beyond doubt, even in what we call a high level of civilization, human consciousness has not yet achieved a reasonable degree of continuity. It is still vulnerable and liable to fragmentation. This capacity to isolate part of one's mind indeed is a valuable characteristic. It enables us to concentrate upon one thing at a time, excluding everything else that may claim our attention. But there is a world of difference between a conscious decision to split off and temporarily suppress a part of one's psyche and a condition in which this happens spontaneously, without one's knowledge or consent, and even against one's intention. The former is a civilized achievement, the later a primitive loss of a soul, or even the pathological cause of a neurosis. Prejudices, errors, fantasies and infantile wishes, the more the already existing gap will widen into a neurotic dissociation and lead to a more or less artificial life far removed from healthy instincts, nature and truth. The general function of dreams is to try to restore our psychological bonds by producing dream material that re-establishes in a subtle way the total psychic equilibrium. This is what I call the complementary or compensatory role of dreams in our psychic makeup. It explains why people who have unrealistic ideas or too high an opinion of themselves, who make grandiose plans out of proportion to their real capacities, have dreams of flying or falling. The dream compensates for the deficiencies of their personalities and at the same time it warns them of the dangers in their present course. If the warnings of the dreams are disregarded, real accidents may take their place. The victim may fall downstairs or may have a motor accident. For the sake of mental stability and even psychological health, the unconscious and conscious must be integrally connected and thus move on parallel lines. If they are split apart or dissociated, psychological disturbance follows. In this respect, dreams, symbols are the essential message carries from the instinctive to the rational parts of the human mind and their interpretation enriches the poverty of consciousness so that it leads to understand again the forgotten language of the instincts. The sign is always less than the concept it represents, while a symbol always stands for something more than its obvious and immediate meaning. 
Symbols, moreover, are natural and spontaneous products. Just as the human body represents a whole museum of organs, each with a long evolutionary history behind it, so we should expect to find that the mind is organized in a similar way. It can no more be a product without history than is the body in which it exists. By history I do not mean the fact that the mind builds itself up by conscious reference to the past through language and other cultural traditions. I'm referring to the biological, prehistoric and unconscious development of the mind in archaic man, whose psyche was still close to that of the animal. This immensely old psyche forms the basis of our mind just as much as the structure of our body is based on the general anatomic pattern of the mammal. The trained eye of the anatomist or the biologist finds many traces of this original pattern in our bodies. The experienced investigator of the mind can similarly see the analogies between the dream pictures of modern man and the products of the primitive mind, its collective images and its mythological motives. The archetype is a tendency to form such representation of a motive, representations that can vary a great deal in detail without losing their basic pattern. There are, for instance, many representations of the motive of the hostile brethren, but the motive itself remained the same. My critics have incorrectly assumed that I am dealing with inherited representations, and on that ground they have dismissed the idea of the archetype as mere superstition. They have failed to take into account the fact that if archetypes were representations that originated in our consciousness or were acquired by consciousness, we should surely understand them and not be bewildered and astonished when they present themselves in our consciousness. They are indeed an instinctive trend, as marked as the impulse of birds to build nests or ants to form organized colonies. Here I must clarify the relation between instincts and archetypes. What we properly call instincts are psychological urges and are perceived by the senses. But at the same time they also manifest themselves in fantasies and often reveal their presence only by symbolic images. These manifestations are what I call the archetypes. They are without known origin and they reproduce themselves in any time or in any part of the world, even where transmission by direct descent or cross-fertilization through migration must be ruled out. The universal hero myth, for example, always refers to a powerful man or god-man who vanquishes evil in the form of dragons, serpents, monsters, demons and so on, and who liberates his people from destruction and death. The narration or ritual repetition of sacred texts and ceremonies and the worship of such a figure with dances, music, hymns, prayers and sacrifices grip the audience with numinous emotions, F with as with magic spells, and exalt the individual and identification with the hero. What we call civilized consciousness has steadily separated itself from the basic instincts, but these instincts have not disappeared. 
they have merely lost their contact with our consciousness and are thus forced to assert themselves in an indirect fashion. This may be by means of physical symptoms in the case of a neurosis or by means of incidents of various kinds like unaccountable wounds, unexpected forgetfulness or mistakes in speech. A man likes to believe that he is the master of his soul, but as long as he is unable to control his moods and emotions or to be conscious of the myriad secret ways in which unconscious factors insinuate themselves into his arrangements and decisions, he is certainly not his own master. These unconscious factors owe their existence to the autonomy of the archetypes. Modern man protects himself against seeing his own split state by a system of compartments. Certain areas of outer life and of his own behavior are kept as it were in separate drawers and are never confronted with one another. When the medical psychologist takes an interest in symbols, he is primarily concerned with natural symbols as distinct from cultural symbols. The former are derived from the unconscious content of the psyche and they therefore represent an enormous number of variations on the essential archetypal images. In many cases they can still be traced back to their archaic roots to ideas and images that we meet in the most ancient records and in primitive societies. The cultural symbols, on the other hand, are those that have been used to express eternal truths and that are still used in many religions. They have gone through many transformations and even a long process of more or less conscious development and have thus become collective images accepted by civilized societies. It is essential to appreciate this point. Modern man is in fact a curious mixture of characteristic acquired over the long ages of his mental development. This mixed-up being is the man and his symbols that we have to dealt with, and we must scrutinize his mental products very carefully indeed. Skepticism and scientific conviction exist in him side by side with old-fashioned prejudices, outdated habits of thoughts and feelings, obstinate misinterpretations and blind ignorance. The symbol-producing function of our dreams is thus an attempt to bring the original mind of man into advanced or differentiated consciousness where it has never been before and where therefore it has never been subjected to critical self-reflection. For in ages long past that original mind was the whole of man's personality. As he developed consciousness, so his conscious mind lost contact with some of that primitive psychic energy. And the conscious mind has never known that original mind, for it was discarded in the process of evolving the very differentiated consciousness that alone could be aware of it. Yet it seems that what we call the unconscious has preserved primitive characteristics that formed part of the original mind. 
It is to these characteristics that the symbols of dreams constantly refer, as if the unconscious sought to bring back all the old things from which the mind freed itself as it evolved. Illusions, fantasies, archaic thought forms, fundamental instincts, and so on. This is what explains the resistance, even fear, that people often experience in approaching unconscious matters. These relict contents are not merely neutral or indifferent. On the contrary, they are so highly charged that they are often more than morally, merely uncomfortable. They can cause real fear. The more they are repressed, the more they spread through the whole personality in the form of neurosis. Our intellect has created a new world that dominates nature and has populated it with monstrous machines. The latter are so indubitably useful that we cannot see even a possibility of getting rid of them or our subservience to them. Man is bound to follow the adventurous promptings of his scientific and inventive mind and to admire himself for his splendid achievements. At the same time, his genius shows the uncanny tendency to invent things that become more and more dangerous because they represent better and better means of wholesale suicide. They are no longer any gods whom we can invoke to help us. The great religions of the world suffer from increasing anemia because the helpful noumena have fled from the woods, rivers and mountains and from animals and the godmen have disappeared underground into the unconscious. There we fool ourselves that they lead an ignominious existence among the relics of our past. Our present lives are dominated by the goddess Reason, who is our greatest and most tragic illusion. By the aid of Reason, so we assure ourselves, we have conquered nature. I know what the Buddhists would say, things would go right if people would only follow the noble eightfold path of the Dharma and had true insight into the self. The Christian tells us that if only people had faith in God, we should have a better world. The rationalist insists that if people were intelligent and reasonable, all our problems would be manageable. The trouble is that none of them manages to solve these problems himself. Christians often ask why God does not speak to them as he is believed to have done in former days. When I hear such questions, it always makes me thinks of the rabbi who was asked how it could be that God often showed himself to people in the olden days while nowadays nobody ever sees him. The rabbi replied, nowadays there is no longer anybody who can bow low enough. This answer hits the nail on the head. We are so captivated by and entangled in our subjective consciousness that we have forgotten the age-old fact that God speaks chiefly through dreams and visions. The Buddhist discards the whole the world of unconscious fantasies as useless illusions. The Christian puts his church and his Bible between himself and his unconscious and the rational intellect does not yet know that his consciousness is not his total psyche. This ignorance persists today in spite of the fact that there, 
that for more than 70 years the unconscious has been a basic scientific concept that is indispensable to any serious psychological investigation. In a period of human history when all available energy is spent in the investigation of nature, very little attention is paid to the essence of man, which is his psyche, although many researches are made into its conscious functions. But the really complex and unfamiliar part of the mind from which symbols are produced is still virtually unexplored. It seems almost incredible that Though we receive signals from it every night, deciphering these communications seems too tedious for any but a very few people to be bothered with it. Man's greatest instrument, his psyche, is little thought of, and it is often directly mistrusted and despised. It's only psychological. Too often means it is nothing. Carl Gustav Jung, Man and His Symbols